I can't tell you how many times I've been told my political career was over. Here I am. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker Podcast. A federal jury sitting in the, sitting in the courthouse behind me found Bridget Kelly and Bill Baroni guilty of all counts in that indictment. I am innocent of these charges. This is not over. I'm David First, and uh, we're going to get to those verdicts in the Bridgegate trial and what comes next with the WNYC's Matt Katz and Andrea Bernstein in just a moment. But let's take a quick look back now over the past year and a half as battle lines were drawn and this trial came into focus. Things officially got underway on May 1st, 2015, when former Christie ally David Wildstein pled guilty in the lane closure scheme. U.S. Attorney Paul Fishman announced the indictments. Bridget Kelly and Bill Baroni asserted their innocence. And Governor Christie, who was not charged, continued to insist he had no involvement. Mr. Wildstein's admitted that he and Baroni and Kelly executed a plan to suddenly and without warning drastically reduce the number of local access lanes to the bridge. I had no knowledge or involvement. I did not interact with David. There's been no connection to me because there is no connection to me. I had nothing to do with it, knew nothing about it. I didn't know about it. He knew about it. Totally knew about it. This morning, I've terminated the employment of Bridget Kelly. I am here today to say that I will no longer allow the lies that have been said about me or my role in the George Washington Bridge issue go unchallenged. And and the reason that you should believe I didn't know is it was so monumentally stupid. If I had ever had an inkling that anyone on my staff would have been so stupid, I am stunned by the abject stupidity. Contrary to the way that I have been described by some of my former colleagues, I am not stupid. I commend Senator Brony for his service. Senator Brony testified there was a traffic study. There still may have been a traffic study. I am an innocent man, and I will spend every day working to clear my name. The truth always comes out. My one job was to make sure that I told the people of New Jersey the absolute truth. I think people are ready to hear the truth. After seven weeks, the Bridgegate trial is done. The verdicts are in. And former Chris Christie staffer Bridget Ann Kelly and Bill Baroni, the former deputy executive director of the Port Authority, were found guilty on all counts. Both sides are vowing to appeal. On CBS This Morning, Governor Christie said... The jury confirmed what I thought on January 9th, 2014. Meanwhile, the governor has a November 23rd court date to deal with a citizen's complaint accusing him of misconduct in the closing of the lanes at the George Washington Bridge. The possibility of a new legislative investigation into Bridgegate has been raised. Here is Assemblyman John Wisniewski. It's time for the Legislative Investigative Committee to pick up the work where it's left off. And frankly, the work seems to have grown. To help us get a handle on what we learned from this mess and where this is heading, we're joined by WNYC's Matt Katz and Andrea Bernstein. Welcome back. Hey, David. Thanks, David. Governor Christie spoke with Charlie Rose on CBS this morning on Monday, and he says... In the whole trial, no one, not even Bridget Kelly, Bill Baroni, or David Wildstein, ever testified that anyone ever said to me that this was an act of political retribution. Matt Katz, is that an accurate summary of the past 
seven weeks of the trial? Pretty much nothing that Christie said in this um, really almost upsetting Charlie Rose interview was a reflection of what happened in a courtroom in Newark over the last seven weeks. In fact, Bridget Kelly testified under oath that she told the governor during the lane closures that Fort Lee Mayor Mark Sokolich had called the governor's office to complain and about the this traffic jam and said he thought the incident was punitive. That was during the lane closures. So Christie even saying in the whole trial, no one ever testified that anyone ever said to me this is an act of political retribution is just totally false. It's one of five or I should say six false or at least misleading things that Christie said in this interview. I've had 25 people serve on my senior staff over seven years and I had one person who didn't get it. One out of 25. Using this senior staff as a synonym for his inner circle is absurd and arbitrary. There are four high-level people, we should remember this, four high-level people who have now been convicted of federal crimes who served very closely high up in this administration. It is not just Bridget Kelly. He kept returning in this interview to this idea that Bridget Kelly, this one woman who he immediately fired, was the mastermind of this. He also claimed that he only had 24 hours to react when he got this smoking gun email, time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee, when so many people at the trial, including people who are still his allies, said that they had been telling him for weeks, if not months, that people in his administration, including Bridget, including his campaign manager, including David Wildstein, were or at least aware of this lane closure situation. So the idea that he was blindsided, which is something he said when the smoking gun came out, and it's an idea that he reiterated in this interview, is not borne out by what happened in court. Unfortunately, Charlie Rose did not apparently read the coverage of what happened or read the transcripts or do uh, much preparation at at all because he wasn't able to push back on um, the spin. And I think what is so frustrating about that Charlie Rose interview is we just sat through six, seven weeks of trial testimony in which finally we got underneath some of these big lies that were perpetrated by Christie and his allies. And it was very clear how they were trying to play us, the press, to redound to Christie's benefit. In addition to that, during the trial, there were reams of testimony about how, I mean, this whole thing started because of this carrot and stick approach. And Charlie Rose was like the Democratic mayors that they were courting. He was invited to Christie's home to interview him personally to get the exclusive, while the entire New Jersey press corps, including the people who covered the trial, are in the penalty box, a.k.a. they don't get to ask Christie any questions. So I'm not in the penalty box, Andrea. You're not in the penalty box? I'm in a worse thing. <laughs> What are- that they had to like create a new category for. Are you iced out? No, no, no. This is even beyond that. I'm dead. Oh, right. Excuse it's, me. That's what it's called. Dead. I thought this was going to be double secret probation for a second there, Matt. I've been on that. That's I was on double secret <laughs> probation and then I violated that. Dead to me was actually a pivotal piece of evidence because David Wildstein sent an email to Bridget Kelly early on saying that the two genes necessary in politics were the dead-to-me gene and the insanity gene. 
and that came up during closing arguments against Bridget Kelly. Dead to me, obviously, is the position of Matt and, and other New Jersey reporters who know about this. And what is insane is that here's Christie after this whole trial where it was pretty clear how abusive he was, not just to Bridget Kelly, at whom he allegedly threw a water bottle, but all of the testimony about him saying, tell Bill Lavin, a union official who'd criticized him on the radio, to go f*** himself, and cursing out a freeholder from Monmouth County and saying, Mayor Fulop of Jersey City is 100% iced out. All of that was testified to at trial. And then when it came out, Christie started to blame Bridget Kelly. And that's what she said. She said in her defense, everything was unloaded on her. And that is exactly what Chris Christie is still doing. And it's so frustrating because we know so much more than we did on January 9th about what is true and what isn't true. Matt, what was it like in the courtroom? I mean, there is nothing fun about watching someone crying, hearing guilty on all counts. It was quite dramatic and moving, really. I I was nervous in the courtroom as we waited for the verdict, like I never expected to be. My heart felt like it was climbing out of my chest. And part of that might have been, you know, we've been covering the story for three years and this was the culminating moment. But part of it was just how human the room felt. I mean, there are these jurors who two months ago were just living their normal lives and here they were rendering decisions about whether these two strangers should go to prison. And they came out of the jury room. They had their decision one by one, count by count for each of them. Guilty, 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 guilty. It was uh, really just incredible to see them do that. And then I was sitting very closely and in, and in uh, direct sightline to Bridget Kelly. At first, guilty, her face started to droop. And then by the sixth count, it just collapsed and she got red and the tears started, but it was like a silent weeping. It was really quite emotional. And then the Bridget and Bill Baroni's relatives and friends were in the first rows and they started crying. Um, oddly enough, Bill Baroni did not cry. He smiled widely. When he turned around, he was smiling when he hugged his parents. And then he made a joke to the sketch artist uh, saying, you know, now this is over. He started criticizing her artwork and saying, I don't have a double chin. I worked really hard to get rid of that. So he had a quite different reaction, but it also seemed human in its own way. I'll never forget it. I've obviously seen those scenes many a time in the movies, uh, but never in person. Andrea, there was a headline in the Washington Post Chris Christie watched his political career end this week. You know, a lot of political obits being written right now on Chris Christie. Is that the case? You know, Christie, you know, during the Charlie Rose interview says, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Yeah, so there have been a lot of uh, headlines since Bridgegate (laughs) broke, uh, ranging from Chris Christie is toast to Chris Christie is back. Chris Christie is back was the one that came out two years ago this month in the New York Times magazine. The sort of, you know, predictive quality of these things is is hard to rate. I mean, I think that let's, you know, look at the facts. Christie is at 21% job approval rating in New Jersey now, a historic low. At the time, January 9th, the day that he said that 
uh, everything rolled back to January 9, 2014, when the scandal broke. He was the front runner in the Republican nomination. He was supposed to walk through the Republican nomination, but because of Bridgegate, he was weakened and other people got into the race. And, and obviously, Donald Trump got into the race, and he spent his last weekend of the campaign hanging out in Mendham instead of uh, out in New Hampshire or doing national TV. You know, the trial was really, really, really bad for Christie. It wasn't just a couple of his aides off in the distance. It felt like in certainly every hour, if not every half hour of testimony, was about Chris Christie and the things that he did and said. Well, let's look at where this goes now. Bridget Kelly's attorney and Bill Baroni vow to appeal. I am innocent of these charges, and I am very, very looking forward to this appeal. Last week, while the jury was still deliberating, we we focused on one of the questions that the jury had for Judge Susan Wigginton, uh, and she ruled that the jury could still vote to convict Kelly and Baroni, even if they didn't think the lane closures were done as an act of retribution. Matt, is that going to be the foundation of any effort to appeal these convictions? Absolutely. This idea that you can be convicted of a crime with no motive, particularly a crime that's unprecedented as closing lanes to create a traffic jam, uh, is really potential fertile ground for an appeal and a retrial. And the fact that there was some confusion in the difference between the indictment from the feds, which said that the motive was to retaliate against the mayor of Fort Lee for not endorsing Christie's reelection, and the instructions in the end that were given to the jury from the judge, which is don't worry about the motive despite what you've heard about this motive over the last six weeks. That disparity there is going to be the foundation for the appeals. Baroni and Kelly's best chance at staying out of prison. And it's a really uh, difficult question that I've grappled with because if they didn't know, let's say, for instance, let's take a, do a thought experiment here. If they did not know that this traffic study was intended to uh, or this lane closure was intended to punish the mayor of Fort Lee, why is it illegal? You know, neither of these people, Baroni or Kelly, were that all that familiar with traffic studies. Bridget Kelly worked in the governor's office. She had nothing to do with traffic studies. If she theoretically had no idea that they were retaliating against the mayor, and if that's not a consideration for the jury, then what is it that um, she did wrong other than following her supervisor's orders. In other words, why was it illegal as opposed to just a really stupid idea? Uh, Andrea, what does U.S. Attorney Paul Fishman have to say about this controversy, the controversy around that ruling? So he held a press conference on Friday after the verdict outside of the federal courthouse. uh, And it was quite striking because he was talking about a trial of two of the aides of his predecessor, Chris Christie, who once had his own press conferences about political corruption. And Paul Fishman was asked a lot about this issue of punishment. So here's a, a bit of tape of what he had to say. The indictment quite clearly described that the punishment of Mayor Sokolich was a motive for the defendants to have engaged in the conduct with which they are charged and of which they've now been convicted. Motive is always relevant in a criminal case, but it is not an element of the actual crime. 
the crime, as it was explained to the jury by the judge in her instructions, which were very carefully discussed by the parties with the judge before they were given, accurately described that the crimes with which they were charged was, was, was a crime to misuse the resources of the Port Authority for an improper purpose. So what's the improper purpose if not to punish the mayor? If the improper purpose is supposed to be separated from the motive of punishing the mayor, then what is the improper purpose? That they did a really crappy traffic study? What they're saying is, yes, this was a retaliation plot, and we proved that they misused Port Authority resources. We didn't have to prove the punishment, he says, to prove the misuse of resources, although to make our case, we talked about it. A couple of former prosecutors I've spoken to since the trial have said that the problem on appeal for the defendants is that they were found guilty of every count, not just the conspiracy counts where this issue was at play. Last week, New Jersey Senator Loretta Weinberg, co-chair of the Legislative Investigative Committee into Bridgegate, talked about the people who testified during the trial that Governor Christie knew about the lane closures. Some people very close to him testified that they told him that people knew about this and that he should know about it long before he went out and denied knowing anything. Matt, where does this legislative investigation go now? Is there an appetite in the legislature to reopen this thing? There's an appetite among the two main people who were involved in investigating this in the first place. That's uh, Senator Weinberg and Assemblyman John Wisniewski. But there might not be as much of an appetite among the legislative leadership. We have heard from Assembly Speaker Prieto, the head of the uh, uh, New Jersey Assembly. He said he's going to be looking into this. One of the options on the table is impeachment. Impeachment would begin in the Assembly uh, and then uh, be voted on in the Senate. That appears to be unlikely because one of the uh, – there's other politics that are involved here. One is that the governor has 14 months left on his term, and if he were impeached and kicked out of office, the lieutenant governor, who is a Republican who is planning on running for governor, she would take over, and then the Democrats would end up running against an incumbent, which is a disadvantage. Secondly, if the leadership of the uh, legislature wants to get anything done over the next year – if they want pet programs in the, bu- in, the, in the governor's budget for whatever's happening in their district, if they have legislative priorities that they want to work with the governor on, they might not want to engage in nuclear war over the next 14 months with Christie. And that's exactly what would happen if they reopened Bridgegate hearings. But there is certainly a groundswell among grassroots Democrats in the states and among certain elements of the legislature to haul back in several of the people who testified in the legislature the first time around before the criminal trial began to get them to reconcile some of their inconsistencies because some of these people didn't tell us everything that we heard in trial when they were back in the legislature and then get Christie to come testify before the legislature to swear on the Bible and to uh, say what he knew and when he knew it and to really throw some statements in his face, like how come you're 
chief political strategist says he told you that there were people in your administration that knew about this. And yet hours later, you went out to the public to a press conference and said nobody in my administration had anything to do with this. That would not go like the Charlie Rose interview, I don't think. It, it certainly wouldn't. I mean, you know, they would have plenty of time. It wouldn't be sound bites. And there are plenty of people in the legislature and legislative staffers who have been living, eating and breathing this stuff for the last three plus years. And they be able to ask the governor some uh, tough questions. The other element that the legislature could pursue is the $11.3 million tab that New Jersey taxpayers are saddled with to pay for Chris Christie's lawyers uh, in this whole case. They are still collecting money. I mean, I got the bills last week. As of October, they were still doing work for Christie on this matter. The report that they produced, known as the Mastro Report for lead attorney Randy Mastro, uh, was quite inconsistent with the findings by federal prosecutors and what came out in the criminal case and the criminal court proceedings. So they could pursue that and try to claim that this master report was a whitewash and that this is not a fair use of taxpayer funds. Loretta Weinberg says she is looking into how they might be able to reclaim some of that money. That also seems like a a difficult avenue to pursue. So I really don't know how this is going to transpire, but I think it really depends on internal democratic politics. Remember, Chris Christie has cultivated friendships with the Democratic political bosses in the state of New Jersey, and they will ultimately make the decision about whether hearings happen in the legislature into all of this. I think it's worth just pointing out that Chris Christie has never testified under oath about Bridgegate. A long time ago, when Randy Master was deputy mayor for Rudy Giuliani, he told me, do not believe any investigation that doesn't question witnesses under oath. And I think that one of the things that's so frustrating, looping back to the Charlie Rose interview, is that it's pretty clear after all the trial testimony that the best light you can cast on the Mastro report is that it was woefully incomplete. The worst light is that it was a deliberate attempt to slut shame Bridget Kelly to blame the whole thing on her when Chris Christie and his campaign manager and the director of the Port Authority and innumerable other people in the Christie administration knew about what was going on. And as Bridget Kelly said, they pulled up their stakes and got out of town and left her holding what her defense lawyer described as a leaky bag. And as of the Charlie Rose interview, Christie is still doing that. So it's very frustrating that all of these things are sort of rolled up into one. Andrea, what are the chances for further criminal charges coming from the U.S. Attorney's Office? And what about this uh, citizen's complaint against Governor Christie? What happens with that? Right. So the Governor Christie tried to quash that complaint. He had a bunch of high paid. We don't know how high paid and who's paying for it. Criminal defense lawyers go in and they were unsuccessful. So he has to appear in court on November 23rd in Bergen County. This is for a state charge of official misconduct based on David Wildstein's testimony that Christie knew about the closures and did not stop them while they were going on. Christie appoints the prosecutor. So there's that, just like he appoints the attorney general. As for what the U.S. attorney could do, I asked Paul Fishman about this at his Friday press conference. Well, I'm not going to say, as you know, Andrea, I never say what cases I am or are not going to bring. But I will say, I'll respond to something you just said, which is three witnesses said it. Two of them were defense, were the defendants themselves. The defendants um, 
uh, th that testimony is not admissible in another criminal trial against someone else unless those witnesses testify against someone else. It's not the way the system works. And without commenting about whether it would be sufficient or wouldn't be sufficient, the testimony of a witness in this courthouse with against a person or about a person who is not represented in this courtroom is not actually admissible against that person in a subsequent proceeding. He obviously says I'm not ruling anything out. Uh, when I first heard that, I thought, OK, that means that he wouldn't use the testimony of Baroni or Kelly, say, in a possible plea deal. Uh, I listened to it again, and I realized he didn't quite say that. Uh, he said that what they said in this courtroom in Newark is not evidence in another trial. Uh, but the problem now for Baroni and Kelly as to testifying against, say, Chris Christie in another trial is that a Chris Christie defense attorney would have their entire trial testimony, which was extensive, to use to impeach them. And I said to Fishman at one point in the trial, you know, you realize that everybody thinks that you are now going for Chris Christie. He just kind of shrugged and didn't address that. The sense that I get is that this is what they're going to do and they're done. However, as you just heard, they have not ruled that out. All right. Well, next week, we are going to have a special edition of the Christie Tracker podcast with a lot of the reporters who have been covering this story from day one. Of course, uh, Andrea and Matt, along with uh, Sean Boberg, formerly of The Record, now with uh, The Washington Post, Ted Mann with The Wall Street Journal, and Tom Moran with The Star-Ledger. And we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take your questions about Bridgegate, and we may play your question on the podcast so call us and leave a question. If you want, you can leave your name as well. Here is the number, 402-413-WNYC. Once again, that's 402-413-9692. Andrea and Matt, are you going to be uh, ready to handle any question to come your way? Any question. Nothing is too specific. Bring them at us. Actually, I have an interview exclusive with uh, Chris Christie, so I might be too busy doing that to really answer your question, David. I'm sorry. Oh, Matt, you're dead to me. Uh, maybe we'll get him on the podcast. Uh, I'll ask. Okay. Well, he can submit a question just like everybody else, Matt. That's right. He can submit. Chris, I mean, Mr. Governor, please submit a question. We'll be happy to answer. Did I say on topic? Are you, are you stupid? On topic. On topic. Next question. Well, we'll look forward to that next week. Uh, get your questions in. WNYC's Andrea Bernstein and Matt Katz. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, David. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to Season 2 of the podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, Follow Matt Katz at Matt Katz 00. That is Matt K A T Z. And Andrea Bernstein at Andrea WNYC. I'm David First, and we'll finish with Governor Christie answering a question from Charlie Rose about whether he thinks he might run for office again in the future. We'll see. Right now, I don't. But, you know, you never say never in this life, Charlie. 